What up, Misfits? Welcome to the Misfit Heroes Podcast. My name is Chris, and together we are going on a journey. Now, Misfits, I am blessed to be an able-bodied 38-year-old man in America. There are others around the world that are much less fortunate and have been dealt physical disabilities while lacking the health care and availability that's granted to us right here in America. Here's some facts that you may not know. Did you know that there are 2.1 million people living with limb loss in the United States and that that number is expected to double by 2050? 185,000 people have an amputation each year. This means that nearly 500 amputations are performed every single day. Around 30% of those people with limb loss experience depression and anxiety. Now, those figures are American numbers, but here is something that we don't hear as often in America. Internationally, the reason for many of those needing prosthetic and orthopedic devices is much more bleak. Landmines account for 26,000 amputees annually, and in many countries, adults and children with disabilities are often targeted for violence and brutalities, leading to amputations and being forced into poverty. The average cost for a prosthetic limb in America can range from $7,500 to upwards of $50,000. Now imagine that number without private health care. My guest tonight is helping to change that figure, and he offers free 3D printed prosthetic devices to anyone who needs one around the world. Jeremy Simon is one of the co-founders of Enable3D, an online community that networks patients needing prosthetics with the global 3D printing community. His help in this work has led to an open-source, community-based approach to global healthcare that has inspired demonstrable change in the medical profession around the globe. We discuss how the project has evolved over the years from a small online community to a group of over 14,000 supporters how surprisingly easy it is to get into 3D printing, and how 3D printing technology is changing the healthcare landscape the world over. Misfits, please welcome Jeremy Simon. Playing the Misfit Heroes podcast. Jeremy, welcome to the Misfit Heroes podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. You've got some really cool ideas, and, you know, I I just... There's a lot of people that listen to my podcast that may not know a lot about 3D printing at all, and I've recently got into the field myself, and I think it's just this wave of the future. It seems like science fiction that we can just create things from this, <laughs> from from nothing. But let's talk about you a little bit. You know, when did you get into 3D printing? How, how did you get into the field? Well, I've always been kind of a techie myself, and I, I love all things technology, whether it be you know computers or you know VR, the internet, just everything technology has always been of interest to me. And so, uh, my last company before this one that I, I owned was a consulting company, and we did information security consulting, nothing at all related to this. Uh, but it got to be you know rather stressful, and it came to the point where I decided you know this isn't really fulfilling enough for me anymore. And it's taking too much time away from my family. I sold my shares and I, I gave myself some time off. I really had no idea what I was going to do next. And, and in that time off, that was right when 3D printing at the desktop level was really kind of starting to become very affordable and very accessible. You know, this has been around since, I don't know, 1980 something, but it really got big back around, you know, 2010 to 2012. And that's, that's right around the time that I'm talking about. So I decided that I was going to play with one of these things. So I got a 3D printer and started printing some stuff. And like everyone else, you know, I was, I was kind of printing little trinkets, things like that you can download online from sites like Thingiverse. And, and that's fun. And I was amazed at what it could do. But then I came across this, this design for a, a prosthetic device, uh, which led me into the whole Enable volunteer community that we'll talk about. But that, that was what really got me excited about the 3D printing when I saw 
wow, you know, you can print real usable items with these things, not just things that sit on a shelf. And that really got me thinking, and it really started to get me excited about 3D printing, um, which ultimately led me to decide to start my next business, 3D Universe, which uh, has been going for about eight years now. And we we try to help uh, sort of expose people to this very exciting technology of uh, people of all ages. We, we deal a lot with educators and uh, schools and makerspaces and libraries because we really want to get this into the hands of the next generation. You know, we, we love to see what they're going to do with it because this is all going to be part of the workspace, the workplace when they when they grow up. Right. So uh, so we basically built this business around that idea of just getting people excited about this very empowering technology, uh, 3D printing, and laser cutting and all this other stuff that goes with it. And it's just been so thrilling to see people that have been able to, you know, make their dreams come true, you know, starting a business by, you know, 3D printing things and starting up an Etsy shop and being able to get out of a job that they hated. I I just love those stories. And so that's really what got us going with this. It's really an amazing field. You know, there's also like an online community just in the 3D printing space that is just, I mean, everybody is so super helpful and willing to help you learn and get into it. I mean, it right. sounds like witchcraft, quite honestly, <laughs> but it's actually not as hard to get into as you would think. And I mean, no, it's very accessible. Yeah. yeah. There's sites like Tinkercad and things like that. I've been, I've been, which seems to be designed towards children, but I, I learned, I, I've learned how to model myself off of it. It's, it's really, you quite can amazing. do amazing things with Tinkercad. I, I know people who have designed entire enable prosthetic devices in Tinkercad. So you can do quite a lot with it and it's very easy to learn. And of course, totally free. So yeah. it does make it easy for people to get started with this. What made you want to start printing prosthetics? I mean, what, what sort of led you in that direction? Yeah, yeah, well, so that was never really on my radar. But like I said, I was just exploring the designs that were available online. Because back then, when I was just getting into 3D printing, I didn't really have a lot of CAD skills. I didn't know how to do a lot of 3D modeling myself to create my own models. So I was just kind of looking at what's available online. And I was more focused on the, the 3D printing side of it, of, you know, what can I make this machine do? And, uh, so as I was exploring those designs on Thingiverse, one of the bigger sites out there for free to download designs, I came across one of these uh, Enable prosthetic designs. At the time, it was called the uh, Cyborg Beast, which was one of their earlier uh, prosthetic designs. And like I said earlier, this just got me really excited. I, I downloaded the files. I, I made one of these. I put it together. I got all the different assembly materials I needed, put it together, found that it actually worked as expected. And uh, I joined the community online at that part. It had just gotten going. This Enable volunteer community was just getting started. And uh, so I quickly got involved. This was back in early 2014. So uh, I certainly didn't start this. There were people before me, um, most uh, notably Jen Owen was the one who really started kind of sharing these stories online of, uh, it was it was her husband at the time who had created the original open source printable prosthetic design, shared it as open source instead of patenting it. And that allowed uh, people, other people, to start building off of that work. So Jen started blogging about this work and about this device that they were making for a, a family in, in Africa and uh, really got a lot of people's attention. And people really responded, uh, you know, as you would expect. With It's a very heartwarming tale. People just helping another family halfway across the world, asking nothing in return. And then not only helping them, but then releasing these designs free, open source. Anybody can download and print these just really an amazing and inspiring thing. And um, 
So uh, Jen Owen really helped to kind of get this started by sharing these stories online. And then shortly thereafter, they posted a video on YouTube uh, showing their work uh, and kind of showing this initial device that they had made with the help of some 3D printers that had been donated by MakerBot. And this YouTube video got a lot of attention. And you know how YouTube videos can be. You almost never see a YouTube video that has all positive comments, right? right. <laughs> this video had like nothing but positive comments. Everyone was really inspired. They thought it was great. A lot of people were saying, hey, I've got a 3D printer. Could I do this kind of thing, you know? So in comes a professor uh, from Rochester University, John Schull, and he saw this YouTube video and he decided to take action. He set up a Google map and made it public and put a post on this YouTube as a comment saying, hey, I created this Google map. If you've got a 3D printer and you want to make one of these devices for somebody, put your pin on this map and let people know that you're available to do this. And a lot of people jumped in and started putting themselves on that map. So John took the next step and he set up a Google Plus community where people could kind of collaborate and uh, talk to each other online and ask for devices or connect with people that need these devices. And that was about the time that I got involved, right, as that Google Plus community was getting started. So I found a person in my local community here, an adult. Now, at the time, we were making these devices more for children. And we'll talk about why that is uh, as we get into kind of the the people that need these devices and who has difficulty getting access. But I hooked up with an adult male in my community who was born with a limb difference, lived all his life this way. And um, he actually, so he was, it's, it's something called amniotic band syndrome. It's a pretty common uh, uh, version of the limb difference where you're born basically without the fingers and thumbs. So you have a palm and you've got a functional wrist, but you're just missing all the fingers. That's one of the common types of limb difference that we run into. And that's what this gentleman had. And uh, he had lived his whole life this way, and he had received one of these very high-end professional prosthetic devices, you know, those, the electronic ones that are powered and actually sense your muscles and can sort of grip when you tighten your muscles. It's called a myoelectric prosthesis. And he had received one of these. He said that at the time he, he received it, it cost his insurance company something like $42,000. Now, they don't necessarily cost that much anymore, but they still cost thousands for the professional ones. Well, I made him one of these because he saw one of my uh, videos that I'd done, reached out and asked if I could make one, and I did. Now, these are, I should explain, these are body-powered devices. These are simple, you know, for people that might be watching the video version, here's an example. This is a, a simple body-powered device where by simply bending at the wrist, you're causing the fingers to operate. So there's no expensive motors or circuit boards or anything like that. They're actually very basic, just ingenious uh, in their mechanics. And so I made one of these for him. And to my surprise, he came back after using it for a while and he said that he loved it and that he was using it far more than his expensive professional device because uh, he found that it was more effective. Um, among other things, he found that the very expensive one had a lot of false positives. So it would accidentally think that he was triggered when he wasn't. So if he was trying to you know, drive his car, all of a sudden it's you know gripping or, or opening the grip when he doesn't want it to. And this can be an inconvenience. So he preferred our design and he, he did a video with me to talk about that. And that video, to my surprise, kind of went viral. It had quite a lot of views and um, Fox News then picked it up and interviewed me on air about it. And so that kind of got a lot of people's attention. And so that led to a lot of people joining the Enable community. Um, and so that was kind of the third key event. So I, we, we're kind of seen as the three kind of co-founders of the community, uh, Jen Owen, John Scholl, and myself. Um, 
I've, I've obviously uh, stayed very much involved ever since then and do a lot of things behind the scenes in terms of helping support the uh, community as much as we can. But we all consider ourselves sort of gardeners uh, more than anything else because this whole thing has just happened by itself. All these people just spontaneously coming together to say, yeah, I want to I want to help. You know, I, I've got a printer and this is great. Let me let me help somebody, you know, and everybody is doing this out of pocket. They're buying their own 3D printers or they already have them. They're paying for the materials. They're paying for the filaments. They're they're paying for the the shipping if they need to send it to somebody. So the people that are being these devices are being made for, it's being done totally free of charge. Nobody pays a penny for these. And um, it's life-changing. It's it's literally changing people's lives that could not get access to these types of devices. Yeah, it's it's really an amazing project. And the fact that it's all sort of sprouting it sprouting itself you know it's it's, right. it's creating itself as it goes it's 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 really quite amazing you know in regards to 3d printing on the consumer level um you know it is still somewhat of a newly um commercialized field a new a newly consumer grade field you know um but i've noticed that recently the barrier for entry into 3d printing has decreased significantly and there's been a lot of you know teaching like stem in schools it's a big focus and everything like that absolutely for those that are unaware of the ins and outs of the 3D printing and itself, are people able to get involved with your project without, you know, expensive equipment or, you know, modeling Absolutely. experience? Absolutely. First of all, the, you know, 3D printing has progressed and matured a lot over the last decade. And I'd say that it's been about this decade or so that, that it's really become mainstream and accessible, like you said. And most schools now, I'd say, at least in the U.S., not in all regions, but at least in the U.S., most schools, anywhere from the K through 12 all the way up through higher education, have some level of access uh, to 3D printers at this point, which is really great to see. Now, it's important to note there's a lot of different kinds of 3D printers. The type that we're talking about today mostly is what's called FDM, and that stands for Fused Deposition Modeling. And that means these are the type of printers that you feed a spool of plastic filament or think of like thick plastic thread almost on a spool and you feed this into a hot end which is like a nozzle that gets very hot and it extrudes this melted plastic layer by layer that those are the types of 3d printers that we're talking about here and those have become very affordable so to your question if somebody wants to get involved with this community and wants to be able to actually make these devices you can get a very decent 3d printer these days for a few hundred dollars so you don't have to spend a whole lot of money. And uh, a lot of people have done things like set up little, you know, local fundraisers, uh, a GoFundMe or a Facebook fundraiser will give you all the funds that you need to get that 3D printer going from, from people in your, your, your friends and family circle or your local community. So a lot of people have done that in order to help get that first 3D printer going, but it does not take much. And, uh, you know, most of those basic 3D printers have everything you need to do these, these things that we're talking about, this project here. Uh, you know, you need something that's of a reasonable size. So you want to steer clear of the really teeny sort of mini style 3D printers that are out there. And uh, you want something with a heated bed, which is a very common feature in most of these 3D printers. That, that means that you can use a wide variety of different materials that, that would need that, that heated bed so that it can stick properly. Um, and that's about all you need. Uh, any basic 3D printer with a heated bed and a decent size build area can be used to make these types of devices. And like I said, they're not very expensive anymore. And they're not hard to learn. Yeah. Now, now who, who creates the models for these prints? Because that's sort of another side that people don't necessarily jump right into. 
Yeah. Uh, like I said, that was me when I got started. I had very little cat experience and I've learned quite a lot over sure the years, but, um, but I, I was, I was, uh, quite, quite a, a, a beginner when I, when I got started with 3d printing. And so there are a lot of people like that in our community. You do not have to have any CAD skills or any 3d modeling skills to get involved. And the reason is all of these people in our community that have created these designers are just volunteers. The people like you and me that do have CAD skills, some of them quite amazing CAD skills, they've developed these designs. And just like the original one that was shared 10 years ago when we started this community, all of these designs are being shared as open source. So it started with that first one. Uh, it was created by a gentleman named Ivan Owen. He was the one that did the modeling originally. He shared that under a Creative Commons share-alike license, which means anybody can use it, they can modify it, they just have to be sure to share any derivative works. And that has, in fact, inspired people to do just that. So we, you can kind of look at our, we have kind of a family tree of all these designs that have uh, sort of evolved out of those original uh, works. And it's, it's just amazing. All of them have, have spawned from that, that first project people just finding ways of making it better and improving upon that original design. And all of these designs have been shared as open source. So anybody can download them. If somebody has an idea of how to make one of them better, they can do that. I'm working with a group right now to do exactly that, kind of taking all of the designs that have come together so far, and we're kind of taking all the best features of them and bringing them together into a, uh, an even better design. So yeah, it, it, the designers are all different people all over the world. Um, right now, our most one of our most popular designs is called the Phoenix Hand, and this was designed um, uh, originally. It was a number of different volunteers in the U.S. Um, and I, I don't recall the individual names, but then a group in the U.K. picked up the banner called Team Unlimited, and they came up with sort of the next version of the Phoenix Hand, which became very popular. Um, and uh, so all sorts of different people have gotten involved. We've got a gentleman in uh, Australia who. Uh, developed uh, the one that I showed on screen here a moment ago called the Kinetic Hand. Um, I was part of a team that came up with an earlier design called the Raptor Hand. So we've got all these different people. Uh, anybody can be a designer, and they're just sharing them with the whole community as open source designs. And so we've come up with this sort of catalog of all these designs, each one created by different people, and all of them shared freely with the world. For the end user, the people that are actually getting the, the devices, um, you know, how do they get involved? How do they request a prosthetic? And you said they're free. I mean, how can they, you know, hook up with the people creating these? Absolutely. Well, our hope is and always has been that the people that receive our devices are not just receiving them like you'd order something on Amazon and have it shipped to you. That happens. We have people that just make a device for somebody and treat it almost like a transaction. But ideally, we want these people to be involved, like you said, as part of our community, they're in the best position to help us make these designs better. And so we, we've started calling them device pilots recently, because that's kind of how we think of them. These are people <laughs> that help us very much like a, a test pilot would, would help test out an experimental aircraft and give feedback on, on what works and what doesn't and how to make it better. That's exactly what these, these folks do. And they, we, we love it when folks get involved like that. So one way of getting involved is, is like that, where you're actually taking part in the feedback cycle and helping us to make these designs better. Um, but at the very basic level, if you're just somebody that has a limb difference or knows somebody with a limb difference and you just would like to get access to one of these devices, you can just go online to our website. And um, I, I guess the, the main site I would point people to to start with is enablingthefuture.org. That's just the main site where Jen Owen has been telling all the stories of our community. And from there, you'll have links over to where you can request a device, 
and how you can get involved as a volunteer if you want to, or how you can support our community. So if you just go to enablingthefuture.org and click on the, there's a little icon on the front page there that says, need a hand, just click there and it'll, it'll take you right where you need to go to, to request one. And, uh, you know, we provide several options. If some people that maybe are more technically minded and want to actually be part of making their own device, uh, maybe they have a 3D printer of their own, or if not, you know, you can get access to 3D printers without buying your own. A lot of local libraries now are making them available to their local communities free of charge. Uh, a lot of schools um, have would allow people in their community to come and make use of them. So people can kind of check in their local communities. Makerspaces are also popping up, public makerspaces. So there's a very good chance that in your community, you can find a 3D printer that you can just bring these files to and say, here, I'd like to print these and they'll print them for you. So if somebody wants to do that, we can work with people to help them make their own device. But if they're not up for that, we'll pair them with a volunteer that will do all of that for them. And we have a whole process that we go through where we, we take measurements and we get the right sizing details. And then we scale the hand and do customizations if needed. And then we, we print, 3D print the parts and there's an assembly process and some testing that we do. And then we go through the fitting process with the end user and, and all the follow-up and everything that goes on after that. So it's not, you know, it's not just a matter of 3D printing. There's more to it than that. But, um, but yes, it's quite, we've made it quite easy, I think, for people to uh, get a device and even get involved beyond that if they'd like to. Well, I love the initiative that's being taken with this. And I also like the fact that you just, you just said that you're trying to sort of create this community around it and create that's relationships right. between people. I like that aspect of it, you know, because I, I could definitely see, well, you know, yeah, I just, I just print this out and I just pop it in a box and put it in and there you go. Now I'm, now I'm Amazon for, for prosthetic hands. I get that. Right. I was doing a little research before we got on and a lot of, I was looking at the um, professionally created prosthetic devices. And from what I saw, the average cost for them was anywhere from like 7,500 to like $15,000. And that's, that's, a hefty investment, you know, um, I I've got right here. I, I recently printed out the, um, uh, this is the Phoenix hand V3 that we were talking about. And yeah. this talk, this took $4 in filament <laughs> right. to print right. out. I mean, what do you think is the reason for such a cost difference? Is it just the research and development that these companies are putting in, or is there an issue with the way that these prosthetic companies are sort of pricing their devices on a professional level? Well, it's a very complex topic, actually, so we probably won't be able to cover all the dimensions of this. But first of all, I'll point out that not, you know, let's let's be clear that we're we're not necessarily comparing apples to apples when you compare one of these enabled designs to something in the price category that you mentioned, because usually the devices in that price category are powered devices. They might be bionic designs that have the muscle sensors and other more expensive components even if they're not the powered category, when you get into those professional level prosthetic devices, even if it's a body powered device like ours, the way they're made is entirely different. I mean, there is a different level of quality. And you're talking about um, you know, things that are made out of uh, true carbon fiber, you know, the layered carbon fiber for really enhanced strength and you know, custom molded sockets for the end user. Just, uh, it's a whole level class of device. So to be clear, we are talking about a simpler, more basic level of device here. Um, but even those more basic level, when you find those in the professional community, something that does sort of correspond, there's no doubt there's a big difference in price. And uh, some of it is, like you said, there's certainly a lot of R&D costs that are going into that. These companies do have to you know, cover that somehow. 
there's also, um, you know, a lot of other factors and I don't know all of them myself, but running a business, anytime you're doing this as a commercial enterprise, I imagine there's gotta be a lot of overhead from things like, you know, insurance and, you know, uh, liability coverage and, you know, uh, licensing and just all the things that go along with providing medical devices. Um, again, as I said, I haven't gone too far into that myself, but I, I have to imagine that that adds to the overhead. But that's what's exciting about what we're doing, because I do think that we are in a good way uh, putting pressure on those commercial organizations to bring their prices down and make their devices more accessible uh, because we're providing some compelling alternatives. You know, you'd be surprised how many people we have that come back and tell us that their very expensive professional device is sitting in a drawer and they're using ours. The most often, the most common reason that we hear for that is, is weight. Sometimes those very high-end, high-quality devices are just too heavy to be worn comfortably throughout the day. And so they put one of our devices on and it's nice and lightweight and it gives them the basic functionality they need and they love it. So it, it depends on the person and what they're looking to get out of it. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no doubt there's a huge pricing discrepancy, but we are seeing that change over time. Uh, we're seeing a more and more of the professional uh, uh, medical organizations starting to be more open-minded to how 3D printing can be incorporated. We have some of these uh, individuals and organizations that have actually partnered and worked closely with Enable, and we love it when that happens. The best case scenario in our mind is when our recipients, the people that are receiving our devices, are, are working with a medical professional, and we're just the ones helping to make the device and, you know, kind of get things scaled and assembled. And then the professional handles the fitting and the follow-up to make sure everything is being done just right. Because we're all amateurs. We don't know what we're doing. I mean, I think we've done a pretty good job for the people that don't have any other options. But we always tell our people that if you have the option of working with a medical professional, definitely do that because you'll have a better outcome that way. And there are, there are quite a few of those medical professionals that have been enthusiastic supporters of what we're doing. Others have been a little bit more hesitant to work with amateurs. Um, so it just kind of depends. And we're, we're trying to form more of those partnerships with those that are willing to embrace this for those people that can benefit from it. Yeah, I was going to ask, in dealing with these medical professionals, are you sort of altering the market a little bit? I mean, are, is, there, is it an increasing um, request from them? Are they more open to that now than they were previously? Well, again, it's, uh, it varies a lot, so I don't want to overgeneralize, but based on my own experience and those medical professionals that I've worked with, I've heard a couple of things most commonly. One thing that I hear of is uh, just access. Some people, some of their patients simply don't have insurance, uh, simply don't have the, the, uh, the resources to get one of these uh, professional devices. And so they love the idea of having a free alternative that they can connect these people with if they simply can't afford or get access to these more professional devices. The other thing that I hear very commonly is even when somebody has access, has the insurance coverage, and they're going to be able to get fitted with a professional prosthetic device, that process of going through the approval and doing all the insurance documentation and then working with the professionals and the fitting and everything, it can be a year or more before you get that device. And so I've also heard that they love the idea of using our Enable devices as a short-term solution because we can turn one of these around in a week or two. And somebody could have a basic device that they could use for that year while they're waiting to get something maybe higher end. Well, I love I love the whole community aspect of it. You know, yeah. I, I, 
I think that in the future, I, I just feel like there's there's more of a need. You're you're kind of creating this community based healthcare aspect of it. Obviously, you're not going to take anything away from doctors and medical professionals and things like that. But I love the idea that it, it's being opened up to sort of this open source, um, open to the community creation of these tools and things like that. Um, do you see any other? areas aside from healthcare where this is this is sort of happening with the 3d printing community i do actually um specific to the 3d printing community i mean it's you know enable was always intended to be about assistive technology now it just happens that we've been very focused on prosthetic hands and arms that's kind of been our main area of of focus and action but the idea was always broader than that. And we do have a lot of volunteers that are doing work beyond prosthetics. So assistive technologies can include things like uh, devices that you could 3D print for uh, people that might have sight impairment. They might be blind and you can 3D print, for example, three-dimensional uh, uh, objects like, oh, maybe um, uh, cartographical data so that they can understand you know, the, the geography or contours of, of terrain or you know, models that would help to illustrate concepts like mathematical concepts or uh, even 3D printed Braille and things like that. There's all kinds of things you can do for them. Uh, there's all kinds of other assistive technologies you can do for other kinds of conditions, things for the hearing impaired or things for people with various types of physical uh, uh, um, uh, challenges. And uh, in fact, uh, IKEA set up a whole site for, um, it's called Visibles. It's really wonderful. It's for it's kind of oriented around, you know, Ikea furniture, but it's all of these free downloadable 3D printable uh, files so that you can make like add-ons that make those things more accessible to people. So, you know, handles that make it easier for people to operate, you know, a sink or open a door if they have a physical disability and things like that. And, and it's just wonderful to see this. So there's people coming up with things like this for all different areas. But it's following this, what gets me excited is it's all following the same idea of open source designs, free for anybody to download, print for yourself, share, you know, nobody's trying to make money off of this. It's, it's really inspiring. I was looking at something else the other day. I'm not sure if you've, there was a hacker group or they call themselves a hacker group, but they created this alternative to the EpiPen. And their idea <laughs> was that diabetics are being charged, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of like 600 to $700 on average for an EpiPen. And they created this device that's, I want to say like $30 and an alternative to that. And, yeah. you know, again, it's not, it's not a professional piece of equipment, but um, the CEO of the company that creates the EpiPen um, actually had, was testifying before Congress because of the price, the pricing structure of this and her, her idea. And it's, it's, it's entirely correct, but her, her statement was that, you know, Hey, I, I own the company. I can, I can charge whatever I want to for that. Um, do you think that there is an ethics issue in America with these sort of, um, with these pricing strategies when there are alternatives that can be created? Or do you think that, you know, in the future, um, are, are these types of devices, do you think they will be able to affect those markets, you know, differently? to create more competition? Without a doubt. I mean, these technologies are only getting better. They're getting more affordable. Their capabilities get better. And so, yes, people are going to be able to do more and more where they used to have to rely on big companies in order to, to do these things. And that will put pressure on, on organizations to change their approach, to change their pricing strategies in some case. So, um, no, I, I cannot 
fault that woman for the statements that that you uh, uh, shared that, yes, sir, she owns the company, she can charge whatever she wants. But I, I think it's the responsibility of the general public to put pressure on people like that to show that that type of approach is no longer viable. Sure, you can be greedy like that if you want. That's your right, but your company's going to fail if you insist on on holding to that ground, you know. And so, I think people are going to have to adjust their thinking. And and it's people like this, just ordinary individuals. I don't know this hacker community that you mentioned, but ordinary folks that just take action to say, "Look, we can do this, and it only costs us this much." And that that sharing that and you know getting the word out about that puts a lot of pressure on these companies to you know, answer for that. And eventually, I think, start making some changes. So I, I, I do hope to see that. I, I think it's, 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 that's one of the things that's exciting to me. This, um, all of this digital fabrication technology, I said it earlier, it's very empowering. And that's why it's so empowering, because it allows people to do things that, you know, I, I never could have made a prosthetic, a functioning prosthetic device for myself in my home uh, certainly not with my skills, you know, right. years ago before I had a 3D printer. I, I guess it was possible if you really have some good, you know, handiworking skills. But, um, you know, it made it so much more accessible to make things like this. I, you know, nowadays, if I want to, if, if my, you know, things like this have happened, a little part on a washing machine breaks or a part of a vacuum cleaner breaks, I, I no longer have to go to that company and pay them $50 for a replacement part. I can, I can take the broken part and I can model it in CAD in about 30 minutes. I can 3D print one in about two hours for a cost of about $1.50, and I'm back in action, you know? So it's just, it's gonna change things, you know? And, and I think companies are going to have to respond to that over time as more and more people start to get hit to this. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, a lot of this, I definitely don't think that um, we've even reached the tip of the iceberg with the whole 3D printing community as a whole. I don't think. I think it's very. I still. It's. It's. I've seen a lot more adoption recently, but I still think it's very um, new in the in the technology space as a whole. You know, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is a lot of the reasons that I see that the enabling the future um, and the enable community has been created is it. It appears to be kind of an issue with it's a deeper issue than just 3d printing it's a deeper issue than just creating these new things there's kind of a little bit of an aspect of wealth inequality or as far as the reason that you even need this enable community and i think that that um that issue could drive what i see at least of the need for these devices but also the creation for these devices you know how do you feel about actually having the need having the need for this program well it's um how do i say this i mean it's uh i i feel great about what we're doing and i feel great about the model that we are putting forth that can be applied in so many other areas i i don't feel so great to your point about the fact that it's needed and why it's needed um so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, it's there's there's a couple of major uh, reasons that we have helped so many people, and hopefully we'll be able to continue helping so many more. One of those reasons, and and really where we got started, was mostly in the United States and mostly uh, with children. That's um, the main reason for that. It comes back to uh, insurance coverage. Obviously, the U United States is a fairly affluent population for the most part, and so we're we're better off than a lot of of areas. Um, and so most of the people um, have some kind of access to insurance, but even so, 
insurance doesn't want to cover a prosthetic device for a child because they're going to outgrow it in a year. And then they're going to have to go and spend all that money again. And so it's very hard for children to get any kind of access to prosthetic devices, even if they have insurance. And so that was what created that initial need. And so that was why the devices that Enable was making in the beginning, and you might have seen a lot of the photos and videos earlier on, most of them were very fun, kind of bright colored devices, a lot of kind of superhero themed hands and arms and things like that. And the kids in the US loved that. And it helped get a lot of publicity and, and that's great. But we quickly started to realize that the need was much, much broader than that. And unfortunately, um, you know, it, it was kind of hard to learn some of, of what we went on to learn, which is that a lot of these regions, not only are they not nearly so off financially, a lot of these places just don't have anywhere near the kind of um, financial means that it would take to get these devices. But they also don't even, they don't have the physical means. They don't have physical access to the medical professionals or the kinds of, of clinics or facilities that would be able to get them a device, even if they could afford it. They, they, they would physically have to drive, you know, across the country or get across the country. And they, it's just not an option for so many people in so many parts of the world. To make matters worse, in many parts of the world, we started to learn that it's not just a matter of congenitive limb difference, things that people are born with. It was, it was horrifying for me to learn how many places in the world there are kids having their limbs chopped off just so they can be put out in the streets to beg for money, you know, out of that sympathy. I mean, just horrible, horrible things that are going on. And, um, and, and so some parts of the country have thousands and thousands of people that, that need prosthetic devices. And what we're also learning is that in a lot of those regions, there are huge cultural differences. You know, in the U.S., kids love these fun colored designs. They love the superhero things. In a lot of these other regions, there's a cultural uh, stigma associated with these limb differences, and people don't want to stand out. They want these prosthetic devices to blend in as much as possible. And so we've learned to start making these prosthetic designs using skin tone colors so that we match their skin tones as well as we can. Um, and so we're able to kind of help serve a different need in that way in those specific regions. So we're learning a lot about the fact that there are many different reasons in different parts of the world of why people can't get access to these types of, of uh, devices. And we're doing our best to address all of those. We now have uh, 200 chapters registered in, uh, last I checked, I think 53 countries around the world and tens of thousands of volunteers. So it's been amazing to see how the community has grown to address all of those different areas of need um, throughout the globe. It's crazy how many posts I saw on there that were from international, you know, international users that, um, you know, it, it, it's all over the place. Um, it is. What does the project need most moving forward? You know, do you need more end users? Do you need more volunteers? Do you need more funding? I mean, what, what, is, what is your main need right now? I would say right now the main need is actually getting the word out there and not getting the word out to get more volunteers because we've actually done great with that. We have lots of volunteers. More always welcome, of course, but <laughs> we're not hurting for volunteers. What we need more of is the people actually requesting devices. Believe it or not, we actually have a surplus of volunteers and a shortage of people asking for these devices. And so uh, we've, we've gotten very creative in finding all sorts of other ways that our volunteers can help. And 
I, I should have mentioned that before when we were talking about what people need to get involved. You don't even need a 3D printer because there are so many other ways you can help, whether it be with translating our documents in other languages or doing development work for our online infrastructure or doing CAD work for some of our custom cases. I mean, there's so many different things people can do. So just if you're interested, check us out. And there's definitely a way to get involved. But, you know, we that's big, a part of the reason that we've we've, you know, been diversifying so much on the volunteer side is because these volunteers are, are, are not able to find recipients that they can make a device for. So what we need most is to get the word out to people that there is an avenue for you to get a prosthetic device completely free of charge. It might not be the most you know high end, most advanced prosthetic, but. It's a very functional, as far as a basic body-powered prosthetic goes. Uh, it, the way we always like to talk about our devices is that is it, they are substantially better than nothing. <laughs> Certainly not <laughs> the best thing you can get, but th that, that really is accurate. It is substantially better than nothing. And unfortunately, that nothing is what a lot of people have. So if you are someone or know someone who is stuck with nothing, who has a limb difference and does not have anything uh, to use, check us out because we really need that more than anything else right now. We need more people coming to us to get these devices. So it's really a matter of just PR, getting the word out there. Um, funding is always helpful. You know, financial support always helps. We've been lucky enough to have some very uh, generous supporters and um, those continue to support our work because we've done great things with their uh, donations so far, but we can always use more of that support as well. Is there any way on the website, is there anywhere for medical professionals to get involved and contact you so you can sort of bridge that gap between the, um, the medical community and the 3D printing community? Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, main platform that we use now for collaboration within the Enable community is something that we call the Enable Hub. And uh, the Enable Hub, you'll find the link for that on the main Enable website, enablingthefuture.org. And the, the Hub is a platform that's divided into what are called spaces. And we have different spaces for all the different kinds of area topic areas within the community. And we do have one set up for medical professionals. And so they can join us on the hub there. They can join into that medical professional space. And it's a place that we have set up for all of them to collaborate with us and get involved in, in projects and uh, uh, for us to help each other out in, in moving this forward. So yeah, just join us on the hub and that's the best way to connect with, with all of us. And we can, we can kind of talk from there about how to, how to move forward. You know, it's, it's very common for people to, you know, reach out through the hub. And then once we kind of see what they're doing and they introduce themselves there, you know, somebody like myself or John or one of the other kind of key, key players there, we'll, we'll connect with them and we'll often get a zoom meeting set up and, and talk more with them about how they can get involved. And we'll kind of go from there, but going to the hub and introducing yourself is a great way to get started. Moving forward. Um, what do you think the future of the, the 3d printing in general is, you know, what, what needs need to be met? Do you think it's more consumer adoption or do you think it's more deeper education? I know that STEM is sort of taken over in schools and things like that, but I mean, what do you see, what needs do you see arising for the 3d printing community to sort of adopt? Well, it's just more of what's already happening, right? Like I mentioned earlier, 3D printing is getting better every day. It's getting more and more capable while the prices are coming down more and more. And so as that happens, more and more people jump in, more and more people decide, okay, it's finally time for me to get one of these things. So that trend is going to continue. The machines are going to keep getting better and they're going to keep getting more affordable and you're going to see them popping up in more and more places. And you're just going to see them becoming more and more a part of our lives. And the more 
you know, the more they do become spread around, that means they're going to be more and more accessible. Because even if you don't have one in your home, like I said, chances are you can go down to your library and there's going to be some set up there that you can use. And so the more that we see people learn about these and, and how easy they are to use and realize that they actually do have access to them, um, you're going to see people coming up with ideas more and more of, of how they can be used in new and better ways. Because, you know, again, I, I loved 3D printing when I got into it. I thought it was so cool, but it wasn't until I came across that Enable prosthetic that my mind really was blown because that to me was where I, I, I started to realize this machine is not just for printing out little things that sit on a shelf. This machine can make things that literally change somebody's life for the better. That was just totally mind blowing to me. And people are realizing that in new ways every day. People are using 3D printers to come up with solutions for uh, providing clean water in areas that people don't have access to that. People, you mentioned the EpiPen. Um, there were people 3D printing solutions in the pandemic uh, for, you know, helping with mask solutions or, or you know, solutions, the adapters for the, uh, you know, for the, uh, the breathing machines and just all kinds of amazing solutions that people are coming up with, just new and creative ways that you can use these 3D printers. And that's just going to keep happening more and more. Well, I love it. I love the field and I love your enthusiasm about it. And I think that, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's really going to grow um, people's, people's needs and meet just so many needs in the future. I think it's, I think it's an amazing field and I think what you're doing in it is, is great. I love, I love what you've, what you've done with the community. So kudos. Yeah. Thanks. It's very exciting. You know, we're getting down to the end of the episode and towards the end of every episode, I ask all of my guests one question and it's one question, two parts. What was the last goal that you completed? And what's the next goal that you want to set for yourself? <laughs> well, um, yeah. And there's I, always I, I a pause gotta, right there. There, there is. And I, I know exactly the answer to both. I just got to think about how to, how to explain this without it getting too technical. Because my, the goal that I just completed, um, I've been working with a very talented team of, of volunteers in our community. I mentioned this project earlier. We're working on developing a new enabled design, taking the best of all the designs that have come before. And we have made phenomenal progress. We're actually getting close to something that we'll be able to release to the community and it has some great innovations in it. But one of the main things we wanted to do differently with this design is we wanted to make it fully parametric. And what I mean by that, this is where it gets a little bit technical. <laughs> When we make these 3D printed designs, all of these different parts are, they need to be scaled, right? These, these parts are all designed at a sort of a default scale, what we call 100% scale. And you almost always have to scale it up or down so that it fits the end user, right? In most cases right. in our designs, we're scaling up. And when you scale up all of the parts, everything in the part is getting scaled up with it. So the spaces between the moving parts get scaled up. If you have holes where screws goes, those screw holes get scaled up. The channels where the cables go get bigger. Everything gets scaled together. And that means that when these hands get really big, the joints kind of start to get a little bit wobbly because you get a little bit of play in the joints. They start to make a little bit of noise, things like that. With parametric scaling, when you, when you, design, a, 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 when you design things parametrically, what you're doing is you're, you're inputting variables so that when we scale this design, we can scale everything overall, but we can keep certain parts the same. So that the spaces between moving parts don't change. The screw holes stay the same. The channel size stay the same, but everything else scales around it. I won't get into the technical parts of how that's done, but 
it's it's quite an achievement to have been able to do it for the entire design throughout all the parts. And the challenge was figuring out how do we now deploy this fully parametric design in a way that people can put in the measurements, right? So the idea is you go out in the field and you take measurements from the person that needs this design. And we want you to be able to put in those measurements and get back the scaled files without having to go through a whole bunch of technical stuff, right? And so the big breakthrough that we had recently was coming up with a way of developing a very simple front-end web tool, which we're going to turn into a smartphone app, so that people can very easily walk you through taking these measurements with little pictorial guidance. You just take the measurements, and then you say, you pick the design you want, you say, generate my STL files, and then it'll feed everything to the back end using these APIs that we found. It'll generate everything parametrically scaled, and it'll zip up the files and give them to you. Again, I, I, I know it's, I'm getting a little bit into the weeds here, but it's, 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 it's a lot. It, it's a, a very important development from us, for us because what it's going to mean is moving forward, it'll make it much, much easier for people to get all of the, the properly scaled files that they need without having to, to get into all the CAD stuff behind the scenes, which can get pretty technical. And so we're going to be rolling this out in the, pretty, in the near future of our community, uh, this new tool along with this new design. And so that's the big goal that, that I've achieved recently. I, I, I'm saying it even though it hasn't been rolled out yet because it was a major breakthrough to kind of figure it all out and it did all just come together recently. So we have a prototype, we've got it all working and we're getting ready to roll it out. So I would say that's the most recent goal and a very exciting one for me. Um, the, the next goal is something that I'm working on with John Scholl, one of the other co-founders of the Enable community that I mentioned earlier. Uh, he and I have been having a lot of discussions about the global uh, climate crisis, the ecological uh, situation that we find ourselves in here, which we are both very concerned about. And he and I have been talking a lot about uh, the nature of that uh, challenge and what we're doing to the planet and what we can do to turn things around. And he and I have been having a lot of discussions about how all the governments and the big corporations, they're all focused on, you know, carbon, 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 carbon reduction. And they're, they're focused in the wrong place because carbon reduction is great, but you reduce all the carbon you want, it's still going to take yeah, hundreds of years for that to really have the effect that we need in terms of temperature reduction. It's, it's changing our farming practices and changing the way that we're working with the earth in order to bring all of that existing trapped carbon from the atmosphere back into the soil. This is what can change the situation in a matter of years. Um, and we've been talking about how we can take the model of the Enable community people all over the world who have said, we're not going to wait on the governments and the, the big companies to solve our problems. We're just going to come together and we're going to help each other and we're going to take action. And we want to look at what can we do to take that same model and apply it to this climate situation. And we think that if we get enough people together, um, tying together the you know philanthropists who want to invest their money to, to help save our planet, tying that together with the volunteers who want to actually do the work on the ground, our goal is to buy up land, to where we can apply these types of, of farming practices to regenerate these degraded uh, parts of our, of our globe and bring back you know, healthy, um, uh, healthy soil that's, that's actually regenerating the climate. And our goal, we're putting together a program with the goal of reducing temperature 
um, by, by doing this to 10% of the global uh, land mass within the next decade, which should reduce temperatures by one degree Celsius. We are working to form uh, collaborations with a number of like-minded groups that are already, already working on this. There are some amazing people already doing work in this area. And John and I are really right now trying to pull, pull together all these brilliant folks to kind of form a new community following on these very same uh, successful models that have, have come up very organically through this Enable community. So that's the next goal that we have is to apply this model to something that uh, we think is an even bigger challenge for our population. Well, I've got two things to say about that. One, um, I do understand what you were talking about earlier with the app and creating that um, in the future with the sizing. That would be yeah. an amazing feat because it's it's so needed. I've I've searched high and low and haven't found a mobile app in particular that that works well with any of this. And that would save right. so many people so many time, so much time. Exactly. And two, the other thing is. Misfits, if you want to know why we need to move our children in schools to STEM education, <laughs> what he just said is is life changing right. for so many people. That's that's amazing. So it is. wow, I'm very impressed. And we we love that. You know, that's something that we have seen through Enable. We now have hundreds and hundreds of schools that have brought Enable into their curriculum and have actually worked with their students to, to take them through. We've got curriculum materials to help them with this. We, they've done amazing work of bringing Enable into the educational uh, arena and orienting it around STEM. And we have heard from so many students that have you know, been inspired to pursue careers in engineering or, uh, or orthopedic, uh, you know, occupational therapists and uh, those types of careers because of being exposed to this. And that is just so thrilling to hear because they, it's, you know, too often education can be just, you know, filling kids with information. And it's so wonderful to bring something into their classroom that, connects them with something really meaningful where they can actually be a part of changing somebody's life and see that they can actually learn a skill set that can help people you know it can really do something meaningful talk about inspiring kids to learn you know it's really powerful yeah jeremy i really appreciate what you're doing and i think that you know i i agree i think i think the the learning environment you know there are so many there are so many kids out there that have such a diverse set of interests and the way that they learn is I think so much more important than where they learn or how they're doing it. And it's, it's just exciting for the future to hear what you're talking about. It's, it's really yeah. cool. I want people to go check you out. So I know you said earlier too, before we got on the podcast, you were, um, you were, you have a podcast of your own as well. I mean, how can people check that out? Yeah, sure. So we do a, a podcast called 3d universe untethered. And you can find that at 3duniverseuntethered.com. And uh, we basically do interviews very much like yourself. We pick the name Untethered for the same reason that we like to keep it loose and informal. And so we just sit down and interview people that are working with digital fabrication technologies like 3D printing and learning about the very cool things they're doing uh, with them. And so if you check out that 3duniverseuntethered.com page, you'll see all the past episodes we've done. And there's some great stories in there, just very inspiring stories of what people have done, things that I never would have imagined even were being done, like the one we just had 
some people doing amazing work with 3D printed fabrics and uh, just things that I couldn't believe they were creating with these 3D printers. So we, we hear all sorts of cool stories through that program. Well, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to go check it out. Misfits, go check Jeremy's stuff out. How can people check out um, in the Enable community again? And do you guys have social media or anything like that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you search for Enable um, with the dash there, we have a dash in our name. So it's E-N-A-B-L-E. And, uh, you know, if you search for us on Google, we'll come up. You know, we, we've got uh, we've been active for a long time, so we're not hard to find. But the main website is enablingthefuture.org. No dash in that one, just enablingthefuture.org. And that site links to all of our other online resources because there are several of them. So I won't I won't give you all those URLs, but they're all linked from that main site, enablingthefuture.org. So start there. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, thanks again for coming on. This has been super informative, and I know a lot of people are going to get some good information from it. Um, Misfits, go check out Enabling the Future. I think it's a really cool website, and what they're doing is just tremendous. And you would be amazed how easy it is to get into 3D printing as a whole. I think it's I think it's really cool what you're doing for the entire community. So thank you again for coming on, and thank you again for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, Misfits, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this guy up. Um, Thank you again for listening and have a great evening. Well, Misfits, we did it. That's our episode. I want to thank you so much for listening and thanks again to our sponsors. If you want to support any of our sponsors, there are affiliate links on the sponsors tab of our website at www.misfit-heroes.com. You can also find links to all of our social media there, so follow us for immediate up-to-date info about the podcast. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to help me out, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button so you're notified of new episodes as they're released. And make sure to leave a rating or review of the show on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Truly Misfits, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next episode, be kind, love one another, and be a hero.